0: It's so good to be with you today. Everyone who's online with us, welcome. Everyone in Mesa, welcome. Everyone in Ahwatukee, I love you. Welcome to church today. It's so good to be with you today. I'm so excited about the message today. And before I jump into that, let me just give you a little preview of what's coming up. In a few weeks on September 20th, we're starting a new series called Family Foundations. Okay, this starts on September 20th. I want to give you a few weeks of a heads up for this so that you can start to pray about who God wants you to invite to church on September 20th. We're going to have multiple weeks that are going to really equip you to forgive the people who might have hurt you, have a better marriage, be a better parent, raise up godly kids that actually do what you say talk more nicely to each other and how to leave a legacy that your life will have an impact on this world, right? We wanna equip you to be healthy, strong families. So you might know someone who's single and wants to be married, someone who is married and wants a better marriage, parents who need help raising their kids, right? Anyone who has a family That's everyone. This series is gonna be for you. So just begin to pray, God, who do I need to invite to Generation Church online or at one of our campuses on September 20th? He will use you and your invitation to change someone's family tree forever. Do you believe that? Amen, I'm gonna go into this message for today. Did you know that there's an election coming up this year? Did you know that? Yeah, believe it or not, it's happening. You know, every four years, our culture becomes almost unbearable. As people who are already opinionated become judgmental, people who are already frustrated become angry, people who are already polarized go to war. Our passions get stoked up into a fiery furnace and every election cycle, the internet, which is already barely tolerable as it is, becomes a hot, stinky dumpster fire of name-calling and disrespect, relationships destroyed, and anxiety and panic. And I'm not even talking about just unbelievers. I'm talking about a lot of Christians I know. Fortunately, that's not as much of a problem for you because you just went through 20 days of fasting and prayer. So God has prepared your heart to enter this season and also for this message. I wanna prepare your soul for this election season and give you a biblical framework to approach voting as a Christian. So the title of this message is Saturation of Church and State. (laughs) Saturation of Church and State. Now before anyone starts hyperventilating, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, okay? So you can relax, but I do promise to offend everyone equally today. (laughs) So I'll just give you a heads up, because this is a little bit of a challenging message for some of us. I'm going to start out challenging you, and it's going to make some of you a little uncomfortable, but then we're going to come to a place of encouragement, all right? So stick with me to the end. You've probably heard of the phrase separation of church and state. And some people mistakenly believe that that means that the church, the people of God, our faith, are supposed to be removed from the public sector, from society, or from the government uh, that we are a part of, right? Uh, And that was not the way it is. This phrase, separation of church and state, was always meant to protect the church from government interference, not keep the church out of the government. So, quick history lesson. The First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. What does that mean? It means the government shall not establish an official religion of the state or interfere with your ability to worship God as you see fit. This does not mean that Christians need to keep faith out of politics. We can't. Our faith should saturate how we see politics. Amen. Matthew 6:33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus said, we're supposed to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means not only should we pray, but we should work to do whatever we can to make earth look as much like heaven as possible. We need to pray and work to create a society that is as pleasing to God as we can help. So our faith in God and trust in his word should saturate every part of our lives, how we work and play and live and vote. So maybe as a Christian, you're wondering how your faith should affect your vote. That's an important thing to think about. You probably have some issues that you're passionate about. And some of you have some issues, But if we seek first his kingdom, like this scripture says, what does that mean? That means that God's issues are always more important than our issues. And the longer I walk with Christ, this becomes true. God's issues are my issues. That's what happens as I walk with Jesus. I become more like Jesus and his issues become my issues. How many of you know that's true, right? Before you were a Christian, you had things you cared about, but the longer you knew the Lord, the more you read his word, the more that your eyes were open to the truth, the more your passions started to change and come into alignment with God's passions. The thing is, you have to read the word of God to figure out what his issues are. So can I just have everyone's permission to make you a little uncomfortable for a few minutes? Yes, I got two or three witnesses, it's confirmed, all right. All right, so think about a couple of the issues that people are passionate about, like economic policy. The Bible doesn't lay out an economic policy for a country or a state, but God does give us principles for how to handle money. He says, put God first, save, spend less than you make, trust God to provide, enjoy what you have, be generous, right? Now, if you apply those principles to any organization, your family, your business, your church, or your country, you're gonna be blessed because you're applying godly principles, right? Or think about law and order. The Bible does say the role of the government is to punish those who do wrong. Different parties have different ideas about how to do that. Let me think about the second amendment for a minute. A lot of people are passionate about the second amendment. And the Bible does imply that it's okay for a Christian to defend innocent life, self-defense is okay. But honestly, the Bible has nothing to say about our right to bear arms. So that might be an important issue, but it's not as important as other issues. I heard one pastor said, I am pro gun control. Yeah. I have guns, and if you try to hurt my family, I will use them to control you. Okay. Think about welfare. The Bible says that we should care for the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. Now, I think Both parties, our major parties, want to do that, but they have different ideas about how to do that. Some think the government should do more. Some think the church should do more. When you think about the rights of the oppressed, like women and children, right, um, there were basically no equal rights until Jesus came along. Jesus did more to elevate the rights of women and children in society than anyone else who's ever lived. There basically were no equal rights until Jesus came. And he elevated the status of those who had been oppressed. Or think about diversity, right? Until Jesus, only Jews could be right with God. But Jesus changed all that. He said there's no longer insider and outsider, male or female, rich or poor, at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're all one. Heaven is gonna be incredibly diverse, right? And the church should look like that. Or think about the unborn. I think this is an important issue. The Bible says that life begins in the womb. Therefore, killing a baby is murder. Now, I wanna say this. Some people in our church today might have pain from an experience in your past where you have gone down this road. Maybe abortion has been a part of your story. And I want you to know that God's mercy is for you, okay? Right? That's important. But just because God is merciful doesn't mean that right now we shouldn't do everything we can to protect those who can't protect themselves. When it comes to the lives of unborn children, abortion is the greatest injustice today in the world. You really can't compare it to anything else in our society. In just the United States, almost one million babies are murdered every year in the womb, and they have no one to protest for them except for us. So we have to think about that. I I know I'll speak for myself here. I will never vote for any candidate, part of any party, who who is permissive or accepting of abortion. Or let me say this about the family unit. The Bible describes the recipe for a healthy family unit, that a man and a woman would get married, have kids, raise their kids together to know the Lord. Now, that's not always the way it works out in reality, but that is the best way. And Christians, we should work for what is good for the family unit. Policies that strengthen the family strengthen society. So how do you vote these issues? That's the question, right? Well, you're gonna have to read God's word You're gonna have to pray. You're gonna have to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. And remember, the more you walk with Jesus, the more his issues become your issues. Now, as we go into this election season, there's gonna be more tension and anger in society and polarization, so I wanna give you some words of wisdom to prepare your heart and soul for this election cycle, okay? Here's the first thing. Don't lose your honor. Don't lose your honor, let me explain this. Throughout history, think about how congressmen on both sides of the aisle, even in the middle of the most heated debates and partisan disagreements, they addressed each other with respect and honor. Even congressmen who are political enemies will talk about each other like this, they'll say, my friends from the great state of Arizona, my esteemed colleague, The distinguished gentleman. I would like to be known as the distinguished gentleman. Now think about how different that is and how it compares to the way that we often talk about politicians and candidates and civil leaders. Oh, it's about to get convicting up in here. Here's how we talk, right? It would be like, Trump this, and Biden that, and Clinton is this, and Obama is that, and Republicans are this, and Democrats are that, and man, that guy's a snake, that guy's not my president. If he wins, I'm moving to Canada. (laughs) This year, Canada won't take any of us. Now, in recent weeks, we've talked about how the Bible is God's word, and it's true, and we stand on it. Are you ready for a test to see if you actually believe that? Here we go. Romans 13, verse 1, it says this. Remember this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience." What does that passage say? It says, God appoints all authority figures. Throughout history, presidents, emperors, dictators, governors, pastors, teachers, police, parents, even your boss has been appointed in your life by God. And rebelling against authority is rebelling against God. Now, some people will struggle with this. I know I struggle with this still today. In recent months, I have found myself repenting before God because he has convicted me that I haven't always been honoring towards authority figures. I'll find myself getting frustrated and thinking critical thoughts and tweeting at people. And then the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, that's not right. And I think this is something that we all have to wrestle with. We'll read a passage like this and, and our, our heart will go, well, but surely that can't be right. God must not expect me to honor bad, abusive authority figures, right? But think about who wrote this passage. The apostle Paul wrote this. He was arrested and tortured and killed by the Roman government. And yet he is saying, submit to authority out of submission to God. But, but sometimes, Pastor Ryan, they're not fair and they do things that aren't fair and they, they, they don't respect my rights. First Peter 2.19 says, for God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. That's in the Bible, you guys. (laughs) Peter wrote this, who was also killed by authority figures. So believe it or not, God wants us to honor and respect authority even when we don't like what they do or say. And it could be, based on the example of Scripture, that God might even use the unfair treatment of authority in your life to carry out his purpose in your life, think about Joseph, right? Who was sold into slavery. Most of us haven't been treated as unfairly as that. Sold into slavery, he was a slave in the house of Potiphar, and yet he honored Potiphar. He went to prison, he was falsely imprisoned, and he honored the head jailer, and God raised him up into a position of authority in the nation of Egypt, and he honored Pharaoh. While serving under Potiphar and Pharaoh, he learned how to manage a household and how to manage a kingdom. God elevated and honored Joseph because Joseph honored authority. I think about the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when King Nebuchadnezzar, he ordered everyone to bow down and worship an idol. And they couldn't do that because the time that we are allowed to not obey authority is when they clearly command us to sin, to sin and break God's laws. That's when you don't have to obey authority. But they still showed the king honor. Let me show you from Daniel chapter three. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Notice how they talked to him. They didn't curse him out or flip him the bird. They addressed him with honor and respect. Your majesty, we can't obey you because you've told us to do something that violates God's laws. Your majesty, but we can't do it. They spoke with respect. They refused to obey, obey a sinful order, but they honored the king and God honored them by delivering them and displaying his power through them. So when it comes to authority figures in your life, you don't have to like them but the word of God says we do have to honor them. First Peter 2.17 says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God, that means to have respect for God and fear the consequences of breaking his laws. Like I know my dad loves me, but when I was growing up, as much as he loved me and he was affectionate towards me and forgiving of my mistakes, there were times I was afraid to break his laws. Like how many of you ever said that? Like my dad's gonna kill me. Like I knew he loved me, but I had a healthy fear of my dad. And we should have a healthy fear of breaking God's laws. What does what, what that talk? We should honor those in authority over our lives. Honor the emperor. We don't have an emperor, but we should honor our leaders. There are a lot of Christians who struggle with this. Many downright ignore this part of scripture. I'm speaking a word of conviction right now. People who say, I'll respect authority. Sure, as long as they say what I like and tell me to do things that I agree with. I'll, I'll respect them as long as this, as long as this something that I want to do and approve of, right? And that is not honor or submission. That is rebellion. It doesn't matter if you like the person. God calls you to honor the position. Yes. So how do we honor them? We honor them in what we say and in what we do, the way that we talk about them, and the way that we respond to what they tell us to do. Okay. So let me just challenge you in this. I believe that as Christians, followers of Jesus, we should speak about all leaders with respect. Doesn't matter if you voted for them or not. Because you know that when you speak with respect, you're actually respecting and honoring the Lord. So man, I think it should be President Obama, President Clinton, President Trump, Vice President Biden. Speak with respect. It's pastor, it's officer, right? When I met with the mayor last year of Mesa, I addressed him as mayor, right, it's sir, it's mister or ma'am, right. As Christians, we should talk about our governing leaders with so much respect that people can't tell whether or not you voted for them, right. Because remember, those who rebel against authority rebel against what God has instituted. And the reason I'm telling you this is that when we dishonor authority, we dishonor God and we lose our honor. It says in 1 Samuel 2.30, Now declares the Lord, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Do you want to be honored by God or disdained by God? You can have a big impact on this by the way that you choose to uphold His commandments, and one of them is to honor authority. I think about King David, one of the most famous kings in the history of God's people. He was famous for honoring authority. He honored King Saul, even though Saul tried to kill him. He respected him as God's appointed leader. But then David's son, Absalom, dishonored his father, the king. He stood at the city gates and talked trash about his own dad, about how he could do a better job. David was honored because he was a man of honor. Absalom was killed because he was not a man of honor. He was a rebel. And I don't want any of us to lose the honor that God wants to show us. So man, we gotta think about this. If I've been in a pattern of dishonoring authority with my mouth or with my actions, I need to repent. I know I've had to repent, and maybe maybe this could apply to some other people in our church today. The the good thing is that the Lord's correction is a blessing. He is merciful and patient with us, because let's be honest, none of us do this perfectly. Fortunately, he's patient, but if we don't respond to his correction, eventually we will reap what we sow. So man, if you sow seeds of honor, God is gonna honor you. If you sow seeds of dishonor, it's not going to go well for you. Next time you are tempted to badmouth a leader in a position of authority, check yourself. Let the Holy Spirit remind you, don't do it. Don't lose your honor. Here's the next thing. Don't lose your witness. Don't lose your witness. Sometimes in our zeal, our passion, to get a certain candidate elected, we start going down a path, that's not right, of name calling, guilt tripping, yelling at people, whether with our mouth or with our fingers in all caps, demonizing people who disagree with us. We can get so focused on being right that we forget to be loving. Jesus was always right and always loving. So if we misrepresent him to the world, we can lose our witness for Christ. In Philippians 1:27, it says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Man, it's okay to fight, as long as you're fighting for the faith. <laughs> During election season, right, we gotta be careful that our opinions don't become judgments, that our frustrations don't become anger, and that the polarization in our society doesn't become a war. Sometimes we can get sucked into that war, right? We can start fighting the very people that God's called us to love when we should be fighting for the faith, as the scripture says. So what does that mean? It's okay to talk about the candidate you support. It's okay to to post or share your political opinions. But I wanna challenge you. Let's remember this, right? Despite the issues that we might have, the most important issue to Jesus is people. You can get fired up about an issue, but if you're angry and judgmental and hostile, you could end up driving away the people who God has put in your life to reach. I have to ask myself sometimes when I wanna share or comment or post, does the world really need my commentary? (laughs) This is a question for all of us to ask, right? Let me just be real for a second. Truthfully, the people who already agree with me don't need it. And the people who don't agree with me probably won't listen to it. (laughs) And I know a lot of us are like, well, I just wanna make a difference. The thing is, you might make the wrong kind of difference. If you're not careful about how you talk, right, your candidate could win the election while you lose relationships with the very people Jesus wants you to reach. I want you to hear me when I say this. Who you represent to the world is more important than who represents you in government. You represent Jesus to this world. And it is important for you to vote. We have neutral voter registration tables in both of our lobbies today, okay? But remember this, nobody gets into power without God's knowledge. And he is going to use whoever it is for good For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, in all things, you can be passionate about your candidate and your issues and your positions, right? But in all things, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel so that when the election is over, your mission field hasn't been burned to the ground. If you find yourself getting upset, I know sometimes we get upset, right? If you find yourself about to vent your frustration to the world, I'm just cautioning you. Remind yourself. Let the Holy Spirit remind you. Don't lose your witness. Remember, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. You might be right, but you must love people. Yes, that's Above all, you're a citizen of heaven, which means me to my next point. Don't lose your peace. Don't lose your peace. So much of the anxiety we feel in this season is because of the election coming up, as if we haven't had enough to worry about this year. And we'll find ourselves becoming fearful and anxious, like, what if the wrong people get elected? What if it's the wrong guy, the wrong gal, the wrong governor, right? What if, what if they get elected? It could ruin our country, it could ruin our lives. But remember, we read all authority is appointed by God. and comes from God. All those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So let's say that things don't go according to your plan. You don't have to worry because that means everything is going according to God's plan. Sometimes we get right, we get worried. Like, man, if the wrong person gets elected, we're all doomed, right? Because that guy's not a good person. So what are we going to do? But throughout history, there are countless examples of God working through even wicked rulers to carry out his plan. When the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt, God sent plagues, right? And uh, they were to display his power, and God was going to set his people free from Pharaoh. And and Moses was going to Pharaoh, right? You let my people go. Maybe you've seen the movie. I don't know. Um, But (laughs) Moses was getting ready to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and look what God says to him in Exodus 14, verse four. God says this, and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. Dun, dun, dun. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Right, this is a rare situation where God told Moses up front, Pharaoh is going to come after you. Pharaoh is not a good guy. He has a track record of trying to murder Hebrew babies, he oppressed God's people, forcing them into manual labor. And then here, as God's trying to set them free, he's chasing after them. And God says to Moses, you don't need to worry. Yeah, Pharaoh is a hard-hearted, wicked ruler. But I have chosen to use Pharaoh and his armies to display my glory. He might come after you, but I'm going to get the final word. God can work through even wicked rulers. He will get the glory, or I think about in the second century after, after Jesus, right? Christians were being slaughtered by the authorities, and an early church father, Tertullian, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God was using even this terrible persecution to spread the name of Jesus like wildfire. That means no matter how bad it looks on paper, we can have peace. It's okay to have a candidate you're passionate about and you can work passionately to help them even get elected. That's great. That's part of just exercising your freedoms, right? But we can have peace no matter who gets elected. Even when it's a leader that looks potentially bad, we know that God is going to use that leader for his purpose. No one has come into power without God's knowledge. His plan is going to be the plan that comes into fruition. God can use even the worst leader or parent or boss or teacher for his glory and his plan. Remember, church, he will get the glory. doesn't matter how bad it looks. God will get the glory. So don't lose your peace. I'll close with this. We sometimes think that, man, if it doesn't go a certain way, if a certain candidate gets elected or a certain reform is not passed, or a policy is not changed, then the world will not be okay. So when things don't go the way we want them to, we can get anxious, it can shake us. I just wanna encourage you, if you find yourself feeling anxious and afraid in these coming months, it could be because your hope is anchored to the wrong person, the wrong organization. Remember this, Our hope is not anchored to a candidate, but to a king. It says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, a prophecy about Jesus who would be born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is our God. He has established Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so sometimes we have to remind ourselves, right? Like whose leadership am I trusting in? I've got bad news and good news for all of us today. The US government can't save you. Cannot save you from the problems of this world, but there is another who can. When God wanted to save the world, he did not send a president to be elected. He sent a king to be crucified and resurrected, a king who reigns forever. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Trust your king. No matter who's in office, trust your king. Don't be confused about this. Jesus reigns and that's why we have peace because the Prince of Peace is on the throne. We can conduct ourselves with honor. We don't have to lose our witness. We can speak with love. We can have peace no matter how this season goes because we trust in Jesus. Be reminded of that today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we thank you for your word. It is so timely to our lives. It's always relevant, and you always speak what we need to hear. Lord, I know I needed this message this week and maybe someone in our church needed this message as well, that they would be encouraged to trust you in this season and not get caught up in the anxiety of the world, wondering about what might happen if this happens or what might happen if that happens. God, we know that no matter what, your plan is steadfast. You are trustworthy and faithful. God, you will get the glory. Lord, let us conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel at all times, Lord, we wanna give glory to your name and we want the world to look at us and see us as one, not that we're the same, but that we are united as one at the foot of the cross, Lord. I pray for anyone who's at church today who might be far from you, God, and feeling a lack of peace in their lives, they would come to know, Lord, that Jesus is the answer. He is the only way to experience peace and salvation, Lord. We know that's true, that the the government can't save us and rulers can't fix our problems. There's only one who can, it's you, Jesus. I pray that everyone who hears my voice today will have saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord. In fact, if you're here today, if you're with me online, and you need to accept Jesus right now, just pray this with me and say, God, I need you. I need my sins forgiven. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again so I could have eternal life. I believe that in Jesus, I'm victorious. I believe that because of Jesus, my life is going to be okay. No matter what happens, I can have peace. Thank you for loving me first, God. I wanna love you and follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.